3: Bill's podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about.
2: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pal Report podcast. I am your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And the Buffalo Bills are AFC East champions. Hands up. Woo! That's what I'm talking about. Give me some skin. (laughs) Oh, what a weekend. What a weekend
3: it was. great that they they won the uh, division, but, you know, I think we were equally as hurt about Alabama (laughs) last night. I got a drink of Seagram's because I took them to win. And not only did I take them to the win, I put a total of 100 of my own money and another 100 of free money from FanDuel on the game. So bottoms up to some Nick Saban giving up 20 points in the fourth quarter, which is just unheard of.
2: <laughs> See, now, normally an Alabama loss in the title game would hurt my feelings, but watching you suck down a wine cooler, I don't know. That just seems to balance the equation for
3: me. It's passion fruit mango. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's... That sounds terrible. I'm going to sit over here with my moose head and just enjoy the rest of my night. Because we're here talking about the Buffalo Bills victory in Week 18. First of all, I, as Iman put it in a DM to me after the game, easily one of the best tailgates we've ever thrown. He said it was championship caliber tailgating. Uh, Hugo got sent off well. We had Mike from Rochester who came out. We warmed people. We, we cooked and served 15 pounds of brisket. Cause do you, have you ever seen fifteen pounds of brisket in person? Cooked I don't, brisket.
3: I don't think so. Maybe this summer when I go to Kansas City to visit my brother. But yeah, and it disappeared. Yeah, people have already been hitting up our DMs to come to the tailgate for the wild As card. They
2: should because we can feed, shelter, and heat everybody. You're dumb if you don't show up. I mean, hey, A
3: Potter's coming. Right, everyone's coming. All right, so the whole crew's gonna be here. You know, I'm not gonna be there for the tailgating portion, but if you do want to see somebody get set on fire, come on out
1: <laughs>
2: and yeah, watch. Do he hasn't set himself on
3: fire watch, yet this year? Watch James Potter it set was
2: himself on fire. One of the best tailgates we've thrown all year, but the game and the what took place and the implications of it was so much better. Here is your Week 18 recap: Buffalo Bills 27, the Jets 10. I've got your stats of the game. Zach Wilson, 7 of 20 for 35%, 87 yards, 1 touchdown, 8 sacks, 66 passer rating. Josh Allen, 24 of 45, 53%, 239 yards, 2 touchdowns, no sacks, and 83.5 passer rating. These are the numbers getting all the press. The yardage disparities. Total yards, 424 for Buffalo, just 53 for the New York Jets. Net passing yards, 254 for Buffalo, just 5 for the New York Jets. Devin Singletary, 22 touches, 9 plays, which is 41% of all his touches, with either a touchdown or a gain of more than 5 yards. Stephon Diggs, 14 targets, 9 catches, 81 yards, 1 ridiculous touchdown. Wide receiver Gabe Davis, 14 targets, 3 catches, 39 yards, 3rd highest receiving yards on the team, most drops on the team. Linebacker Matt Milano, 93% of the snaps, 2 pressures, 1 sack, 3 solo tackles, 1 tackle for loss, and 2 passes broken up. The Jets offensive line. The running backs produced 0.63 yards per carry. They allowed 12 quarterback hits and 10 total sacks. Ten tackles for loss allowed by eight different players on the Buffalo Bills defense. (laughs) I mean, Chris, this game, it was close on the scoreboard and in the minds of maybe some of the more nervous portions of our fan base. But it was so desperate when you look at what actually took place on the field. One of the reasons for that is that, well, the the Bills offense was kind of sloppy. I mean, the Gabe Davis experience, this was the game, Chris. If there was ever a game where they were going to say, let's feature, let's feature Gabe Davis and see what happens. This was the game against a bad defense where he could have taken the bull by the horns and become our wide receiver number two. Three catches on 14 targets. Gabe Davis was targeted 14 times? 14 times. And the hilarious part is he it's not like he didn't get open. He got open for routes that would have given him touchdowns. He just didn't get targeted on those plays. <laughs> Instead, he got targeted every time Josh Allen got a bug up his ass. He threw the ball at Gabe Davis. And Gabe Davis, he only got credited for three drops. i I feel like myself and anybody else who watched it from the seats, it had to feel like more than that. It had to be. Jets cornerback Bryce Hall He's been one of the few effective defenders they've had in the secondary all year. He was all over Davis, and he he just made sure that he wasn't able to make easy catches. I mean, to that end, Hall was on him for nine of his fourteen targets and only allowed two catches for all of his thirty-nine yards. When he did get burned, yeah, they went they went for yardage, but most of the time he didn't, and he made him. He at least made Gabe Davis work for it. I'm pretty disappointed by that, Chris. The fact that they they finally... You're we,
3: always disappointed. No, but they
2: did the thing. They did the thing we've all been screaming for. Make Gabe Davis wide receiver number two. And they gave him wide receiver number two. Fuck, wide receiver number one targets. And it just... When you pair his numbers up against Stefan Diggs, you realize how big the gap is in talent there, right? Yeah. Here's a guy who with 14 targets turned it into one game changing play and a whole bunch of receptions for meaningful yardage. Here's a guy who you targeted 14 times and he, I give him credit. The touchdown wasn't his fault. He stepped out of bounds. Sure. But Josh Allen threw that thing. That's an ill advised pass. It was a laser. It found his hands. So, (laughs) but it wasn't a, it wasn't a good situation for him to be catching a touchdown anyway. I know because it was in the end zone in front of us. I just I don't know, and if I because Chris, you know I don't like to dwell, especially in moments like this on bad things.
3: Oh, you don't like to dwell. Yeah, yeah. let's right. talk. Let's talk about my right. blog about Matt Hawk. Matt Matt Hack Matt Hawk
2: Hack. Uh, this is the difference. If you follow us on Twitter at Rockbell Report, that's the difference between Sunday Drew and Tuesday Drew. Tuesday Drew realizes that Matt Hack has value. Sunday Drew wanted him literally thrown out of a moving vehicle. What changed my
3: mind... I saw those two punts, Chris, and I... Is there any chance that Scottish Hammer is playing on Saturday? I don't think so. And the reason why
2: is because when you look at what he brings to the kicking game, he just has value. It's intrinsic value,
3: but it's value. Because, and we're talking kicking game where he doesn't actually kick. But he holds. Yes. And for anyone that who doesn't... kicking game.
2: And anybody who doesn't think that that matters, look look at former Bill Corey Bohorquez. We didn't like that. We said, oh, he's got a hammer, but he sucks at punting sometimes. And we cut him and we signed a hack and everyone goes, oh, he sucks at punting too. And I go, yeah, well, Jason Sanders just had a Pro Bowl season with him as his holder. Well, the very next season, he loses his holder and he not only misses the Pro Bowl, but costs them games because of missed field goals. Then you look at where Corey Bajorquez went. Corey Bajorquez went to Green Bay and. Mason had Mason Crosby had one of the worst seasons of his entire career. Remember that uh, the, that Bengals game that wouldn't end because neither the rookie kicker from Cincy and Mason Crosby, NFL
3: veteran, neither one of them could sink a field goal. Yeah, you gotta be you gotta be pretty bad at holding if a veteran kicker like Crosby can't overcome that worst with, with uh, season ever. For that guy, they, t- I, you know, as much as we, it's talked about on here of how much I listen to the herd, that was talked about on the herd this season is Crosby's kicking, and there was no mention of the holder because, no, na- because we're all, national media because, does not we're all acknowledge off, that. So
2: we don't acknowledge that, but if you talk to a single player who's actually done the job, they go, oh, well, 90% of that's that guy. <laughs> so we have a kicker who's thriving. Because we have a good holder. Chris, in a playoff game where that field goal might make the difference, you're not switching now. Right? This is just, if anything, I think it's Scottish Hammers here for familiarity. That's it. Just because, hey, if something happens to our guy, we need you. But hopefully we never do. And then Josh Allen's decision making. I mean, first of all, there's no quarterback in the NFL who can do what Josh Allen does. Not right now. What? Stiff arm, Quinnin and Williams, and then carry a linebacker like a cape? Like a cape! Well, you throw a toe-tap touchdown into the end zone to Stefan Diggs? Get, get, get out of here. Take all your bullshit and pack. People go, oh, he, but he does this, and he's not so accurate. Fuck you! You can't make that play. <laughs> Chris, everyone's going to get mad. I'm just dropping liberal curses on the podcast. Don't care. That's how... He's, he wasn't perfect in this game either. I watched a couple, a couple of those drops by Gabe Davis and some of the throws that he didn't catch were just where you could see Josh get impatient and then his mechanics break down, but he's still like, I got a gun. I'm going to sling it. And he would just throw it at a wide receiver. This stopped being football and it turned into dodgeball. And he started throwing it at our wide receivers who just tried. They just made an attempt barely. It's, it's hilarious, especially in cold weather. Can you imagine getting hit by a Josh Allen pass, Chris? Like I, 10 I, yards from the line of scrimmage, and he just fires one sidearm at you. I
3: have I have experienced that sort of... The Mario Granada pass. Thank you. Catching a ball from Mario Granada of hashtag sports. Yeah,
2: you know, he played D3. You know, real illustrious.
3: Well, he does have power in his, in his throw. I don't know if you've ever played catch with him. I know you're quite the uh, scared athlete. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm not doing that. No, because I'm not dumb. I'm drinking. If I'm 12-pack deep, I'm not stepping in front of the throw like that. But so here's the thing. There were times where you'd see Josh on cork one deep because he th- he thought he saw a little daylight and said, screw it, I want to win. Allen, over 20 air yards, one for 11. But between, from 10 to 19, he was 5 of 8 for 80 yards and a touchdown with no picks. That is where the Bills have to find a way to live is in that box because teams aren't giving us the deep throw. And even when he gets it, half the time it's into the wind. And he, just, he can cut the wind, just not with any. he Chris, he doesn't have a burner. I think he's still used to John Brown being out there. We can just uncork it and let that guy go get it. That guy wasn't out there on Sunday. So well, there's obviously things you'd like to see cleaned up, our team won. And they won where they needed to
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: So, Chris, were there things you'd like to see cleaned up for the Buffalo Bills in this last frame of the season? Our team won when it needed to, and they won where they needed to, which was on the offensive line and in the defensive front. And to help us expand on a little bit of what we saw in regards to that, I'd like to bring in a guest who, in his rookie season, <laughs> helped, helped, found himself in a similar situation back in 1995, the last time the Bills clinched the division at home in front of their fans. Albeit, you know, he, he was, he was on the field, not drinking a beer like I was in the stands. Mr. John Fina of the Off Tackle Podcast. How are you, sir?
1: Hey, fellas. It's great to be here. Can you hear me okay? Can you hear me okay? Am I echoing, echoing, echoing?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no. No, you're, you're coming in hot, John. <laughs> For those of you who live under a rock, John Fina, former Buffalo Bills left tackle, host of the Off Tackle with Joe Miller on the Buffalo Rumblings Network. He's an IPA and bourbon appreciator, which I appreciate about him. <laughs> When I first when I first met you at O'Neill's well, I, I told a story about wearing a speedo and the look of disgust on your face, and then the fact that you just openly like you were like oh I, when I made a comment I was like yeah I introduced my wife to you and I was like oh i married up and you were like I just wanted to hear you say it before I said anything. I love the well, fact that you're
1: a <laughs> I love the fact,
2: I love that you're a straight shooter. It's one of my favorite things about you, and it's one of my favorite things about your show. Well, you
1: know that comes from the crucible of playing football. You you just don't have time. No. You you realize that uh, for years, in order to get to that level of play, you've taken more slings and arrows from coaches and media. And, you know, I can't tell you how many coaches I've had scream in my face, tobacco juice and (laughs) tobacco crumbs and residue. (laughs) And, you know, you just kind of become – you get a little crusty maybe, and then you sort of like – expect the rest of the world to have a little bit thicker skin so even if they don't the best way to find out is you tell somebody that their girl their girlfriend or wife is a hell of a lot prettier than they are and if they you know if they if they crumble and cry like you did then oh, soft. listen listen that that night was
2: a blast and i'm happy and i'm happy that you chose this time. i mean you picked the right time to get into the podcast game the Bills did? have won. I didn't
1: pick it. Joe Miller picked me. I came kicking and screaming.
2: <laughs> See, and I love that because the Bills have won the division for the second time in 2 years. And it comes on the back of a game. First of all, I like the fact that you say kicking and screaming. Joe, I don't I don't think. I mean, I've seen both of you in person. I don't think Joe could drag you anywhere. I'm just saying for 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 your age, you're doing well. (laughs) You're still doing pretty well. I
1: appreciate that. I mean, you know, I'm light enough that he could drag me somewhere. (laughs) Did you just call me fat? Because that's kind of the way I took it. And uh, I'll be contacting H.R.
2: H.R. podcast. Chris, can you imagine if there's a podcast H.R.?
3: I'd put you at the head of it. we'd be
2: fired. You guys
1: would be
3: buried. We'd be fired <laughs> immediately.
1: <laughs>
2: so a lot like back in '95, though this game things weren't perfect on offense. But when the dust settles, now, I don't know what
1: you were talking about. By the way, I joined the Bills in '92, so you've got something. Sideways no, 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 no,
2: no, no. You joined in '92. It was back in '95 when you were on the field for him, though, and I remember that because I remember '92 because you had one of the AFC Championship rings. You showed it to me at the bar.
1: Yeah, it's right over here,
2: and I was just like, "Well, that's." That's crazy. I just wish we could see one from this century. Like this yeah. this century would be nice for our players. Like that would be good. So everybody kind of did enough. And I watched your show this week. It was phenomenal. I'd urge everybody to go check it out because he did some really great stuff. I mean, there's a What's few What's the name th- of the show? The Off Tackle with John Fina.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, it's a a YouTube and uh, platforms everywhere.
2: (laughs) I love it. He's and and when they go live, you guys can comment. You guys can ask questions. John does a really good job. Our listeners will appreciate this of answering your questions in a way that's just slightly less salty than I would. Just slightly. Just a little. Mm -hmm. Chris, Chris said we would never take phone calls because he's like, you're too much of a dick. You wouldn't be able to. I would have to agree
1: with that. I mean, No. Okay.
2: But you do a great job of answering your listeners' questions. And so I read some offensive line stats, some really ugly stuff about the New York Jets at the top of the show. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: When you look at a team like the Jets and what they put on the field on Sunday, when the gap, I mean, the gap between starters and backups isn't supposed to be the world's apart. It's not supposed to be chasmic. But they found it almost impossible to orchestrate any kind of offense in this game. And... (laughs) And so, have you, first of all, have you ever been a part of a game like that where just everything up front, whether it's your fault or not, everything that you guys were trying to do just didn't work?
1: Well, more than just one game. I mean, my entire season last year in Buffalo, uh, 2001, right, with Greg Williams, I mean, we felt like uh, the only way we could win a game is if the other team's bus crashed into, <laughs> you know, Lake Erie. And there was like multiple drownings. And I never felt so helpless in my entire life. Uh, it was it was a disaster. It wasn't even good enough to call a disaster. It was a catastrophe with a conflagration. With I mean, fuel oil poured on it, lit twice, and all the bodies were being strewn on top. It was it was murderous. It's a horrible place to be, and it wasn't a talent issue in that regard and it's not always a talent issue you know it's Mm -hmm. there's so much to the melting pot of why you win and why you lose it's belief it's a plan it's the offensive scheme it's your personnel fitting into that plan and we had none of it or less
2: so so when you see a quarterback like zach wilson in a moment like sunday's game i mean there there was a point Did, did your heart go out to him just a little bit because, I mean, there was a point in no, the game where
1: – I No, mean, why should it? Why just the quarterback? I mean, everybody suffers. We have to pretend like he's the only one with feelings or a family or – why I you love know, you. Oh, it's, somehow he's magically absolved because <laughs> his offensive line is underperforming or the play calling is bad or they're missing a few pieces and they don't have a downfield threat. We're supposed to feel bad for this one guy because he's the face of the franchise. <laughs> Please, I either feel bad for everybody or nobody, and it's the AFC East, so I uh, I hope I I shed no tears.
2: It was funny because in the fourth quarter of the game, when he's just getting, it was after a play where he's getting chased, and he manages to throw the ball away, and then just gets dragged mercilessly to the ground. And my dad, he's standing behind me in the stands, and he kind of grabs my shoulder. And he goes, "Is anyone gonna help that poor bastard?" And I was like, "No, Dad, there's no help for him out here." It's just, it's just this, it, it's yeah. just this over and over again for the, for another 18 minutes until it's all over.
1: Yeah. And you know what? That's the crucible, mm-hmm. right? So when Zach gets on his podcast, maybe he'll be a, a little, uh, uh, cut and dry also. Oh, yeah. Oh, but I, I, look, I appreciate your, um you know, your your compliment to the off-tackle show and the, the whole piece about bringing in some of the video. And I encourage anybody listening to your show, you know, it doesn't translate well if you're just listening. But if you have a few minutes, it's usually in the, the latter half of the show. What we do is we bring up a couple of plays and I kind of try to describe uh, beyond what your, your emotional feel is as a fan or your pr- pragmatic understanding of what a play is and try to dial it down Uh, in a way that people understand the technique that's involved, uh, in a way that talks about the philosophy of the play. And it's really been fun. And for me, it's been great because it's, it's forced me to examine parts of the game that I've ignored for a long time. So when I'm watching football, I watch it completely different, I think, and most athletes do, than the general fan. Like if you're watching football on TV, my first advice to you is that the very moment they line up, count the defensive front. Where are they? Where are they lined up? Next count the offensive lineman. Is there a tight end? Is there not a tight end? Make sure you know the down and distance. And on the snap of the ball, look at the first, first uncovered offensive lineman from the center. It's usually a guard. And on the snap of the ball, that guard will tell you whether it's a run or a pass. Okay. And if you watch the quarterback drop back to hand off, Yeah, and you you don't see the line play when it breaks for 12 yards. offensive line and broadening the scope of how you view the players. You can see two or three players or four at a time, and you'll see why the play succeeds or why it failed. And that's just the way I watch the game.
2: And see, and that's always interesting to me because my eyes don't leave the offensive line. I don't, because to your point, it's hard to see the entire game. So there's a lot of times people are like, oh, did you see that move of the wide receiver? Nope, because I was busy watching the blocking. Because that's what I, when I played football, that's all I did, and when I like, that's what I know. So I, my eyes automatically go there, and I say, okay, that's what I'm most interested in. Did there, who won? Who won there? You made a really great point in your last show. You want to see? Not everybody can win on every play on the offensive line. But you want to see you get you can, you can, you can, and
1: that's what we need to get but to. Three we need and get a to half is plays.
2: where the bills currently are. Three and a half guys, on average, are winning their winning their winning I their mean, matches.
1: I would argue that it, I would argue that on average it's four to four and a half. But the problem is, you know, those situations where. That one guy or one and a half guys in order to meet that average of four and a half aren't doing it on the same play. Oh,
2: for sure. And, and to, and to your point about the breakdowns, you have a great one where you kind of highlight the 40 yard Singletary run and you talk about how Reggie Gilliam, you highlight the job he did in that play that I think, Chris, a guy like you who is still learning the X's and O's of football would really benefit from. Because you get it pointed out to you, like, look, here's this linebacker scraping across. He's going to fill that hole. Reggie Gilliam digs him out, and that's the reason the play succeeds. If he doesn't do his job, that thing dies at the line.
1: Dies at the line. But, you know, you said digs him out, and that's the funny part. Football, you know, everybody thinks about blocking as – uh, you know, grab this guy by the breastplate, yeah. muscle him. Sometimes it's him. just being sometimes, there. It, sometimes you just have to be in the way. Yes. And I don't think Reggie Gilliam actually delivered a blow. He just, he actually just ended up as a shield, you know, between oh, the, for the sure. tackler and the running back.
2: And you know what? That's fair. So, with that in mind, knowing of that it's you. fair. I
1: said it.
2: <laughs> See, he's the expert. Who am I? No, that's why I like talking. <laughs> and that's what I like about you, John. You, again. You're straight straight to the point. You're a straight shooter. So I want to hear about your opinion on Spencer Brown in this game because here's one of the things that I, I walk away from.
1: Okay. People, are,
2: people like Spencer Brown.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Fans are very excited about Spencer Brown. We like to believe that Spencer Brown is doing a lot of the right things a lot of the time, and that's why he is holding the starting right tackle job. Mm-hmm. And we, on the whole, after seeing the the fallout of games where he hasn't played, we say to ourselves, our team is better when Spencer Brown plays. So I go and I look at the numbers after this game and I go, cause I, I'm watching and I'm going, I don't know. He looks okay. He let up seven pressures in this game, according to some of these analytic sites, but then mm-hmm. rewatch watching your show, you point out that he committed one of the Cardinal sins of playing offensive line, which is don't turn your back to the defense there's on well, the screen pass that, it when didn't hurt
1: the play right no, we're talking about it the screen do. the singletary guys no, nice. i mean that and, look that's not really a function of him it's just a function of we don't run enough screens you okay. know there are plenty of screens that go and you get out in space and somebody comes from behind and makes a tackle um that's still not your job so it wasn't it, it, so it was right, just funny I guess my, question, my question to you is where do you stand on spencer brown because you know, you told me what everybody else thinks. You told me that somebody here or there No, no, no.
2: I think Spencer Twitter Brown, Twitter Brown Twitter. is... a I think he's an athlete. I mean, we talked with, uh, with uh, Math Bomb, Kentley Platty. He invented the relative athletic score. Spencer Brown is tied for the highest athletic score in this. It's essentially an aggregation of athleticism, and different athletic metrics based on what they put up at their pro days and Combine. Mm-hmm. He said Taylor Luan scored the highest, and he's a very good tackle. Well, Spencer Brown tied him in terms of athleticism. Now, whether his technique ever catches up to that, that's a completely different story. But I think that you've seen plays from Spencer Brown in every single game where he shows you that he can get to the second level with some speed and a little bit of tenacity. He shows a little bit of a mean streak, which I think you have to have. And I think that when I look at him compared to Darrell Williams... I, I just see more finishing from Spencer Brown and I see him getting to the second level more fluidly than I ever saw from Williams last year. Williams was great when he was asked to pass protect. Run blocking, he was pretty pedestrian. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's got good feet in a small area. But if you ask him to do a lot of things, he's just not that athletic and he, but you don't need the most athletic offensive line. You need big guys who have technique, leverage, who understand balance. Spencer Brown, even as a rookie, seems to have enough enough athleticism with the talent that he has and the technique he has that he's at least paying some dividends. But in this game, he struggled, but our offense still found a way. What do you think of his season as a whole when you look at him and what he put out there this week?
1: Well, you know, you have to... I can't look at it as individually. I think what he's done for the unit by moving Cody Ford out is a, a big plus. Yes. So it, I'm, I'm pleased as can be that Darrell Williams is playing guard as well as he is. Uh, it's sometimes it's hard. I like I, I, I don't think I ever could have played guard, uh, you know, after as many years of tackle as I had. Uh, I understand that this, this team and practice rotates people across positions. I think that's brilliant. We never did that. Uh, By and large, uh, I think he is outperforming as a rookie uh, compared to what I would have expected. And that's really all I'm looking for right now. Look, I could probably go back and if you if you gave me all nine plays where he supposedly had pressures, I could probably tell you that, you know, two or three of them weren't really him. Mm -hmm. um, If I looked at him, I might agree entirely, but. The one, the one thing that, that and you mentioned it, and I think there's a huge value there. Is he's a mean sob, <laughs> and one of the beauties of having John Feliciano in the lineup was he added that category, which is infectious. You know, the guy that's, you know, for lack of a better accurate description, hitting late, uh, being vicious, in a legal sense. Mm-hmm. I think I think the value that he brings with that makes him an even better player. I'm not so much concerned about. Him getting to level two, he does move out in space a little bit on that really cool uh, screen that ran to the right based on a power left um, run. That was pretty neat. He moves well enough. You know, my concern is that his pass protection comes along. He's uh, soft with his hands a little bit, but that's a grow-up thing. You come from northern Iowa, and you're not playing against guys that play defensive end for the New York Jets. And mm-hmm. mind you, this was a – despite their lack of success – This was a formidable front four. I mean, these guys got after it. They were really high energy, and I was I was impressed by the Jets' front four. This that's I don't think that's an easy uh, group to contend with. So you know, occasionally you'll struggle anyway against guys that you've handily beaten before. So uh,
2: he gave up a he gave up a sack to Shaq Barrett in that Tampa Bay game where, or I don't think it was a sack, but it was a major disruption to a pass where. Shaq Barrett just ran right around him and he tried to get his mitts on him and Shaq being the smaller player really violently just shoved his hands out of the way. So maybe to your point, he needs to learn a little bit of that violence at contact just to, I don't know, just to be more
1: disruptive. Well, so the, the, the difference is like uh, when you're playing, I mean, even when I played at the University of Arizona and that's, you know, a million years ago you had a week off every now and again or you played against a guy who just didn't have the skill set or the tools or the burst or the you know uh, you, you, and you just don't get that in the NFL week in week out this guy might pose a different kind of threat than the other guy but they both have they both are a threat and he he, he sets beautifully his hands are in good position he's a little tentative on his strike and he needs to be affecting that guy and I don't know how many foot pounds, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, of energy that you need to press on a guy to affect their trajectory upfield. But he needs to get a little bit more of it. Uh, it's passable right now. And he's learning. But I, I mean, for me, as his coach, I would focus. I would focus in that area.
2: So at the beginning of this conversation, we were talking about Zach Wilson running for his life. And one of the biggest things was just that our defensive our defensive front seven did a number on these guys up front. Now you've made no bones about the fact that you love Matt Milano and what he does for this front seven. Now, when you look at the way that teams are forced to play a team like Buffalo, when you see our front seven and they say, okay, they've got a Ned Oliver, they've got some other rotational D tackles. Harrison Phillips is starting to come on, but we really didn't have yeah, another. He D. Really is. But we didn't have another D-tackle that struck any fear in anybody. And so they go, okay, they've got some DNs that rotate. And then they've got this linebacker that can see, he just seems to be everywhere. To you as an offensive lineman, how terrifying is that when you go up against a team where they go, oh, he, they bring him on blitzes and he's effective. And then they drop him in coverage and he erases our tight end. And then he's out there filling run lanes with authority, even though he's so small that you'd think he doesn't have that kind of pop to his tackle.
1: Yeah, he, he just, he does so many great things with his frame. Um, his instincts are terrific. I, I meant to bring that up in a, in our show last night. We didn't pick that play to review, but he has terrific instincts. And, you know, a lot of guys will come through the line on a blitz and try to blow up a running back. And I guarantee if you tried to do that to Thurman Thomas, you get everything you could handle. I mean, that, that SOB blocked on pass. Uh, so that's not always the best strategy. And I think Matt takes the opinion of, I'm going to use some defensive end type of tactics when I rush up the middle. I'm not just here to punish the running back. My goal is to get the quarterback. He's He plays with such great um, leverage, instincts, speed. But beyond that, it's nice that he's getting the freedom to do it. I think Ed Oliver is playing fantastic. And I, I don't kid around. I think Ed, you know, I said at the beginning of the season, he's he's he better produce this year. Uh, but he's improved his stock considerably. I'm a believer. I love the pick. Uh, but, I, you know, I don't kid around. He needed to play better. And guess what? He is. I think Addison's playing really well. I think Epinesa needs to improve quickly. Rousseau, um, he, uh, I think he's passable right now. I don't think he's flashing as much as I had hoped. Jerry Hughes still looks good. Uh, the, really, the whole front four, as they rotate, looks strong. Harrison Phillips is really coming up. Uh Star although does you know it doesn't strike fear, his serviceable purpose has been, you know, when he's been available, has made Ed Oliver a better
2: player. It's funny because I remember from the summer when we were talking about defensive linemen and we were talking about this concept of being on the breadline, as you put it. He <laughs> said, Listen, guys who if you don't produce but you're just here and the team isn't inclined to cut you, you're on the breadline. And nobody wants to be there. So no. so looking at this team it seems like there's guy like it almost felt like Harrison Phillips was tra- kind of on that trajectory but over the last month and a half of football he's really stepped it up. It was felt in this game, it was
1: Yeah, you know, and that's a feel thing. I mean, he started out not getting enough reps to get into a groove and developing what works best for him leverage-wise. So the more reps he's gotten, the better he gets. I mean, that's just the way it is. I would say that Spencer Brown is following that same track. You know, if you're not in the game, the expectation for you to go in and perform, especially in the interior, um, I just think you're silly if that's your expectation. Because so much of that is experience and feel and feel. And look, they don't practice with pads on at this late in the season. They probably don't practice with pads on at full speed in the third week of the season. So there's nothing that can replace game time experience, but it's like filling up a bottle, right? So you need to fill it up. You learn more, your peripheral vision improves. You see these keys that the offense has when they line up, differences in stances by the offensive line, studying your playbook, knowing their tendencies. And without the reps in, in a live game, it just really gets hard. So there's no shock, no surprise that a guy with with enough talent, um, who's eager enough, who's exciting enough, who wants to be a part of something bigger than himself, is going to improve. And that's what we've seen.
2: So I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this with two questions. The first one: Where the mm-hmm. Buffalo's Buffalo Bills were to start the season in the trenches, mm-hmm. to where they are now at this point in the season. Is it fair to say that they've come a long way? I think that they're better on the whole than they were previously. that's my opinion. I think that, to your point, the subtraction of Cody Ford, the fact that Darrell Williams is doing very well at guard, uh, the the Rick Bates, uh, the, the fact that left guard has been this kind of turnstile with three different players manning that job, and yet it hasn't yet killed us, And they're finding a way, and in fact, you could argue Rick Bates is actually doing a really solid job. Do you agree with me in just kind of this feeling as, again, I don't know nearly as much as you do about this stuff, that those two units, which are pretty much Chris, they're you win and lose in the trenches that well was- you do and
1: i think i think you know they- your question is going to be are we peaking at the right time yes or, do we have the pieces in place and uh, you know as a look back i would say that the the defensive front seven uh, or it's six now right it's the defensive front six because everybody runs out of nickel, nickel yep so the front six i think started defensively kind of a house on fire high expectations and it's pretty fun stuff to watch They slumped a little bit, in my opinion. Production, excitement, uh, pressure, sacks. I don't look at the numbers. I go by feel. I'm wrong. Somebody has a statistic. Fine. Mail it to me. (laughs) Uh, But the problem with the offensive line is I think that, you know, they're not a disaster as everybody wants to, you know, scream on Twitter or wherever else, you know, because they want likes or fights or whatever the hell it is. It's never been a disaster. It's just been okay. And sometimes individual performances were not good, bordering uh, on bad. So you had a, a front four playing really well and an offensive line that just couldn't gel. And now we ended up with this, you know, by injury, by luck, by benching, you know, a rotation that looks pretty good. And you see them ascending, And at the same time, for whatever reason, the the front four or six defensively is ascending. And this is the time when you wanna do that, when nobody really has any real concerns about Edmonds and Milano. I mean, they don't. I mean, just that, that Milano stays healthy. And our secondary, I mean, I think everybody probably had us, you know, booked for dead when we lost Trey White. And lo and behold, the next guy in, the next two guys in fill in the space have been remarkable, remarkably good. Nothing short of that. I mean, they've been solid. So we're peaking at the right time. We have the right people in place. For me, uh, I wanna see more technique, tenacity, ferocity from the front four on pass rush in obvious passing situations. I'm seeing a little too much jittery read burst kind of thing. Attack mm-hmm. a shoulder like Ed Oliver does. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see a little bit more of that uh, on the offensive line. Yeah, look, we, we you can be assignment perfect and you can win. And if we can if we can win and be assignment perfect on 80% of our snaps, and that's not too much to ask, then I don't think anybody stops uh, Beasley and Diggs and mm-hmm. Gabe, right? Yeah. So you can analyze the season any way you want, but if you can protect the quarterback and run the ball, and if you can defend the run and get after their passer, you win.
2: That's that's the game. That's, that's it. That's
1: the game. And I'm, we're peaking at the right time, so I'm optimistic. But I I almost rather uh, the Chargers were coming in <laughs> ten degree weather, uh, beat up, beat to death after that game, than having a team. They got bit by a dolphin uh, who's historically a solid yeah. performer, uh, you know, coming in here with some bravado, trying to prove something. I don't like it, but that's what we get.
2: That's the hand. And then the last question before I let you go real quick. The last time you and I did one of these together, you talked about what it meant on our podcast about the team reaching out and kind of mending fences and bringing you back in and making you feel valued as an alumni. And then you get into podcasting, and now you're doing this, and you're interacting with fans, and you're watching Bill's games, and you're – what is it – I guess, what does it mean to you for us to be in this position? Is it it different than years past? Is it different for you now that you're in this thing with the rest of
1: us? Well, look, I don't think it was a – going way back, it it wasn't that they did anything on purpose. I just don't think that any – Uh, well, I I shouldn't say that. I don't think most organizations had a real dedicated alumni department. So you left, you were just kind of gone, you know, floating out into the ether. So the fact that it was a constant conscientious, concentrated effort to bring back guys. And that was fun because it was such a big part of my life and staying connected to it is enormously satisfying. Um, Being part of like this content creator uh, business now is fun because we're winning or where we have a chance to win. I mean, it, might, it would have been murderous if people were doing uh, podcasts 12 years ago.
2: Yeah. I mean, we, we started back during the Rex Ryan era because we thought that that's uh, when the winning would start. Yeah. That's uh, where we cut our teeth.
1: <laughs> no, but, I mean, it made it, it made it easy to not make an effort to leave my house to go to a bar where the Bills were playing because my expectations were so low. And now I'm like, okay, uh, they have better wings. This is a better crowd. Here I get the audio. There I don't. And I'm making an effort now. Like, uh, you know, I'm telling my wife, I'm going to the Bills game. That's just three hours on Sunday that I won't be, you know, doing home improvements. <laughs> so it, it's really been, uh, it's been a fulfilling. Point in my life being on twitter and the bills mafia and engaging with fans it's fun i mean look I, we're not curing cancer we're not feeding the world but it's been a healthy happy diversion and you know it's, it's been thanks for having me on your show of course i love going i love going on the shows i love going on my show and you know i think we have a chance right so that's all you ask for is a that's chance
2: five, a five six
1: years ago you said we have no chance <laughs>
2: This is that we were talking about it. This is what we've been this game that we have ahead of us is what we've been playing for since I've been a season ticket holder for over a decade. Mm -hmm. You're just happy to be here and be a part of it. And I'm glad that you're a part of it, John. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social and where they can find your show?
1: <laughs> I just had a funny thought. I was trying to think of like the people that were t- continually trying to get people to to re up their season's tickets during the awful drought. It'd be like, hey, uh, we're having a pancake breakfast yeah. uh, for all fans. And that our, was me. Uh,
2: I was the sucker who was like, yeah, give me those pancakes. I will be here with bells on. <laughs> for
1: every single uh, season ticket renewal, you're going to get a 10, $10 off coupon for tops. Oh,
2: it's terrible.
1: Go to Dashes on Hurdle and say Buffalo Bills and get 4% off your. your- <laughs> I kept,
2: and I kept telling my friends, to go, guys, don't don't quit on me because one of these days we're going to get a home playoff game.
1: One yeah. of these days. Yeah. Well, that was last year and now again this year. Yep. You can find me on Twitter at John Fina. I engage. I'm unserious. I, I mostly lurk and make funny comments. Um, all opinions are my own, not the reflection of my employer uh, or my family or my God or my dog. <laughs> Or anybody else. I'm on Instagram. I think. I never open it. But <laughs> I think I'm there somewhere. Yeah, We're and there I'm with you. Fa- and I'm on Facebook, and I don't go on Facebook, so don't expect a message. But and if you shows engage me, I will engage back. Mm-hmm. I will like. I will try to comment because it's fun. I'm not serious. And if I say something funny and you find it offensive, then uh, comedy is dead. But I am here to revive it.
3: John Fina is on Twitter, at John Fina. Host of the Off Tackle Show with Joe Miller, part of Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. He's already tweeted at, at us about his appearance on the show, and he uh, did not like that I didn't offer him a beer. <laughs> so, I can't wait. Well, that th- if the thing happens that he... The thing? The thing that happens... The thing about the thing that we can't talk about? The thing that he said that we can't talk about. So if he is, if he is in that, if he gets in that... Thing that we were talking about that he told us, then I'll bring him a twelve pack of Seagrams. Oh my god! Because that showed up. If that's how you would enjoy, yeah. doing that, you oh. you would enjoy a you have yeah. you, you have to have a, a a a fruity yes low alcohol yes type of drink. You would have to, to do that have thing. To do, Chris.
2: If you could pull that off and just get a photo of it. Just get a photo of that. It would make my whole life. It would make my whole life. You'd probably... And Chris, if you came into the... If you met us at the seats with a black eye, it'd be one of the funniest things I ever saw in
3: my life. <laughs> it'd be worth it. <laughs> uh, well, why'd you get that black eye? I got hit in the face by pro Bowl left tackle John Fina.
2: <laughs> no, he's old. He can't fight anymore. No, No,
3: I kid. I kid.
2: Although I did walk up to him at the bar and I was like, man, I'm like, you're small for a left tackle.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
2: I love that you can break balls with that guy. He's a great person. I just I'm happy that we've gotten to know him and that, again, he feels comfortable enough to break our balls back. I mean, it's camaraderie in this space, but it's also cool to just know that that's John Fina. Chris, your
3: final thoughts on this game. Fun win. I mean, wish it was there. More excited that I'll be there on Saturday, although no, no tailgating for me because I'm, I'm coming straight from work. Sure, because res- you got responsibles. I got responsibles. It's it's like a, one of those like fun, like we already knew that we're, like, I know the division was on the line, but it was like one of those fun games, like, uh, felt like it was watching an exhibition against a lesser team, like somebody that's below Premier League. And you just get to like play with them because it felt like first half was like, oh yeah, you guys are in it. And then at the, you know, second half, no, you're not. Get out of here. <laughs> get out of here, peasant. Go back. Go back to New Jersey.
2: Go back to Hoboken.
3: Yeah, go. Go back to Hoboken. I don't know where I heard that,
2: but I've, 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 I've I, Chris, what movie is that from? Like, it's some, it's a thing. Call in if you know. Someone yelling, Go back to Hoboken! And I always thought it was funny. For me, I don't think I could have asked for a better Sunday. And no, not because the Bills were omnipotent and Josh Allen walked on water and we cruised to a victory that turned into a laugher. It was almost the opposite. The Bills were sloppy. They had mistakes. They played a really imperfect game on offense and still managed 27 points against a poor defense. That's the mark of a great football team. When everything bogs down, you still churn out the type of result that most teams would kill for. You once again blew a team out by double digits at the end of the day. The majority of their points and literally all of their yardage came on one singular broken play. And in the process, they emphatically declared that when it comes to the AFC East, the Buffalo Bills, by merit of the following, uh, points for against when it comes to AFC East opponents, 29-12 and on average per game. 13 total defensive takeaways, more than 135 yards per game, better than their opponent on average, and a 5-1 and record. They are, for the second straight year, the class of the AFC East. And for me personally, I got to see it happen with my dad there with me. Now, those of you who have been with us since the beginning, you know what that means to me. That moment, the fireworks going off, back-to-back, plastered all over every video board. The shout song blaring. I I don't know, me getting to high-five my friends, and I I, I involuntarily hugged my dad. Now, Chris, my dad's kind of like you. He's not an outwardly emotional guy. So he doesn't love you? I can count on one hand the number of times I've seen him cry about anything ever. And I think that's correct, right? Like I, th- I feel like a lot of parents do that for their children. Yeah. I I hugged him anyway. I was like, I don't even know if he's going to resp- I don't know how he's going to respond to this. It doesn't matter. I need to hug you in this moment because it was perfect. It was everything It sounds stupid, but it it was everything I ever wanted out of this. I got to have a great day with some amazing people. And then watch the game go the way that it went and end the way that it, and just the way that it ended. I had to hug my dad. (laughs) And I just, my wife goes, why didn't, why didn't you take any pictures? How come you don't, do you have any pictures of you and your dad? I don't need them. That moment, this Sunday was, it's seared forever in my memory. I don't need pictures to remember how perfect of a moment it really was. I mean, from that to the to, to the parking lot where we're all drinking Portuguese champagne with Hugo, his last moment, just at a Bills game in the United States, celebrating this thing. That's something I'm going to have for the rest of my life. Maybe someday I'll be lucky enough to have one of those with my kids. But I, I don't know. I just, like I said, I feel like I'm lucky enough to have gotten this one. Just this one amazing moment. That's it. Chris, that's all I have. I'm a lucky man. And uh, I don't know the last time I was more proud to be a fan of the Buffalo Bills. And I'm going to drink to that. Guys, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That was John Fina. And this is your Rock Bowl Report.